So I really thought that the second half of this year on my beat was going to be defined by people starting to go to jail for violating abortion bans. And now we are almost six months out from the decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, and we really haven't seen that. Caroline Kitchener covers abortion for The Post, and a lot has happened since that Supreme Court decision. More than a dozen states have banned or limited abortion. But as Caroline has reported, people are still finding ways to get abortions. Instead, people have turned to abortion pills, pills that they can get online, pills that they can get from, you know, just people in their community that are trying to get these medications into the hands of women who need them. And so we know that people are continuing to have abortions. Distributors of these pills are violating the laws, but we haven't actually seen people going to jail. That's not happening right now, but what I found in my reporting is that it could happen, and it could happen soon. People are trying really hard to figure out a way to enforce these laws. Targeted efforts at enforcement are coming probably in early 2023. And the big question is, will they be able to do it? To figure that out, I knew I needed to talk to the people who would be responsible for that enforcement, for charging somebody with a crime that would send them to jail for five, ten years. And that led me to a small, heavily conservative city in northern Texas. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, December 19th. The next phase of the abortion fight is playing out in courthouses, state legislatures, and maybe even your local waterways. Conservatives are struggling to enforce abortion bans, so they're considering some pretty unorthodox ideas to further crack down on abortion, like mobilizing citizen investigators or blocking abortion pill websites. Today on Post Reports, we go inside the war rooms of the anti-abortion movement, and we hear what they're planning for 2023. Caroline spoke to my co-host, Elahe Azadi. She is going to pick things up from here. Caroline, I know you've been speaking with anti-abortion leaders about this post-Roe moment. You know, in many states, there are laws that ban or limit abortion, but abortions are still happening in those places, often by way of illegal abortion pills. So I wonder, how do these anti-abortion activists feel about that? They're furious. Now, I, I want to drive home the point that we really don't know what the numbers are. Mm-hmm. And I have had several, in the course of this reporting, several anti-abortion advocates say to me that they are concerned that just as many abortions are happening, if not more abortions are happening now because of these pill networks that are really growing in um, – just growing faster than I think a lot of people expected – And they're really upset because they saw this. I mean, it was. It was a landmark victory. It was a victory beyond what most of them thought was possible in their lifetimes. 
you know, most of them thought, okay, Roe was overturned. That's directly going to lead to fewer abortions that happen in the United States. And because of these networks, we don't know that that has happened. And I'd imagine they're also furious because these laws aren't being enforced. Absolutely. I interviewed over 30 people for this story, and I really wanted to know, how do anti-abortion advocates feel about exactly what you just asked? Are they happy with just, you know, the abortion bans being on the books? Or is there a real driving force for them to go further and really crack down and enforce? And I talked to Jonathan Mitchell about that question. He is a anti-abortion lawyer in Texas, very well known as the person who was really the architect of the novel Texas abortion ban that took effect last year, many months before Roe was overturned. And he told me that there could be a splintering within the anti-abortion movement between the people who genuinely deep in their bones oppose abortion and feel that it's murder and the people for whom supporting an abortion ban is a political move. There is something of a division between how conservatives view the election results. I think the big main takeaway for most people, certainly most of the public, was that abortion rights mattered. People really cared about abortion and they came out to vote because they cared. We saw that in Kentucky. We saw that in Michigan. We saw that in several other states where state legislative races leaned more toward the Democrats than people expected. But what we also saw were several high-profile Republican governors who signed strict abortion bans in a very public way do extremely well in these elections. We saw Greg Abbott in Texas, Brian Kemp in Georgia, sail to re-election after really coming down hard on abortion. So I think that there is some nuance there and there is some level of, you know, if you are a Republican lawmaker in Texas, maybe it's not entirely clear how further abortion crackdowns would affect your political future. You know, but I, I, I do know that there are a lot of moderate Republicans who see public opinion on abortion and absolutely do not want to go any further, who might even want to take some steps back. In fact, I talked to the Senate Majority Leader, a Republican in West Virginia, who told me that if Republicans keep pushing on this issue, he expects widespread public backlash. I just sort of struggle with that because isn't that the whole point, though, I mean, of passing these bans is maybe not for there to be direct enforcement, but enough of a penalty that would discourage someone. So is that where those people maybe some of those people might fall in that camp of, you know, we don't necessarily want to see someone in handcuffs, but we're hoping that the penalty is enough to scare people off doing this. I think that's right. I think what's also right is that people underestimated 
how people would feel about these laws once they were in place. And once they were in place, it was a different world. And suddenly, for the first time in 50 years, abortion was not legal across much of the U.S. And you saw voters get really, really upset about that. Crossing party lines. Yeah, exactly. You saw even Republican voters in Kentucky say, no, we're not going to pass an anti-abortion ballot measure. We don't support that. So, you know, it sounds like, on the one hand, actually enforcing these bans would be politically difficult for local officials. I'm imagining that's playing into why we haven't seen some of the enforcement of these bans. Are there any other, like, logistical reasons why some of these bans, you know, we're not seeing people being arrested and jailed, even though there are bans in their states that say, you know, there are criminal consequences? Yes, absolutely there are. And I think the best explanation I got for that was when I went to Tyler, Texas, to meet with the district attorney. So for months, really, I've been going around asking anti-abortion advocates, anti-abortion lawmakers, if I want to talk to a conservative district attorney who is really gung-ho about these laws and like really wants, wants to enforce it. them, yeah, yeah, who should I go to? And no one could tell me somebody who had enforced the law. Hmm. Um, no one knew of any instance of these laws being enforced. But I did have two anti-abortion advocates in Texas point me to the same guy, to a district attorney in Smith County, Texas, called Jacob Putman. And they said if anybody was going to enforce these laws, it would be Jacob because he is, one, in a heavily conservative area where people are very opposed to abortion, and two, unlike a lot of the heavily conservative areas in Texas, he actually has quite a large population, so he has resources that a lot of his colleagues in other parts of the state don't have. So he could you know, he would be sort of in a better position to enforce a totally new kind of law. So I drove into the downtown area of Tyler, Texas, and I could see from, like, blocks away where I was going because the courthouse is, like, the tallest building in town. And... It's really retro. There's like a bunch of marble and carpet everywhere. And I take the elevator up to the district attorney's office and he comes out to meet me. I would love to just hear a little bit about you and your background and kind of what what brought you to this job. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been the elected district attorney uh, here in Smith County for four years. He's a he's a really young guy. He comes out. He takes me into his office where he sits beneath like a six or seven foot pair of horns from a Texas Longhorn that he has mounted on his wall. He has right behind him a portrait on his wall of Sam Houston, the main general in the Texas Independence War against Mexico. And beneath the portrait is a quote of his that says, do right and risk the consequences. And the district attorney told me that 
you know, he found that to be really inspiring for his mission. There's a, a tension, I think, with all elected officials in any job between uh, doing the right thing and then just pandering to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And if your only goal is to get reelected, a lot of people lose focus and want to just turn and say whatever they want the voters to hear. Mm-hmm. And personally... I'd rather do the right thing and risk losing. I mean, I'm pro-life. I think uh, I think it's a life before the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center in his hometown, and now— And what's a crisis pregnancy center? It's a um, typically religiously affiliated organization that um, tries to talk women out of getting abortions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is an issue that really meant a lot to him. I mean, first of all, I'd be proud to do it. Because I do think it's the right thing legally. I think it's the right thing morally. So I'd, I'd be proud to do it. But he said he hadn't had the opportunity to enforce it, and he didn't expect to have the opportunity to enforce it anytime soon. Why, why is that? I mean, this is someone who feels so strongly about it and is perfectly situated to do it. Why hasn't he had the opportunity to do it? Well, he told me he, you know, he hasn't had any cases. Um, law enforcement has not brought him any cases. His office has not uncovered any cases of this happening in his district. There's not often brand new things in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Like I said you've got to be tested to being paying attention to it, but it takes a little while for investigators to kind of catch up. Of like, oh, okay, here's here's what we have, right. and here's the way to go about it. Right. Do you guys? And it was interesting. He kind of said, "I'd really like to do this, but." Logistically, it's just not very likely. A lot of law enforcement is reactive. So, you know, if you call because there's a domestic violence situation or someone's been murdered or there's been a theft, they come out, they investigate, and they arrest them. So in order for there to be a case, someone has to tell. And he said to me, I don't know who it would be that would tell if there was somebody who was, you know, distributing abortion pills or involved in that network in my district. I don't know who we would hear from. So abortion pills coming over the state, it may be out in the open, but no one's calling the police to report that. Mm -hmm. So it would take a proactive effort by law enforcement to catch them. might not be that hard because they're not hiding it, but um, whether it was local law enforcement or someone like the governor's office with DPS tasking them to look into this, uh, until that happens, it would probably go uninvestigated. Wow. So you have someone like Jacob Putman who very much wants to prosecute an abortion case. He's eager to. But even for him, there doesn't seem to be an easy way to enforce these abortion bans. So I wonder, Caroline, are there people around the country looking at this situation and thinking, what can we do to help someone like Jacob Putman prosecute an abortion case? Can we find these cases? This was one of the most surprising things that came out of my reporting. I found that the largest anti-abortion organization in the state of Texas is actually putting their own staff to work to do precisely that, to investigate and find the people distributing these pills. After the break... We hear about how this anti-abortion group is taking matters into their own hands. We'll be right back. 
the best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. So, Caroline, tell me about this major anti-abortion group in Texas that you mentioned, how they're looking into cases and how to get one to someone like Jacob Putman. How are they doing this? Texas Right to Life is the largest anti-abortion group in the state of Texas. And that is a fairly prominent place to sit because Texas really has a reputation for some of the most aggressive, for lack of a better word, creative anti-abortion measures in the country. They're really known as a testing ground. And Texas Right to Life really helps facilitate a lot of that very aggressive legislation. So its president, you know, John Sego, he was one of the people who really helped drive the novel Texas abortion ban that took effect, you know, many, many months before even Roe was overturned. I didn't tape our conversation, but he told me that they have within their organization designated a particular team to looking into potential violations of the law, really searching for what he called an airtight case that they could then take to a district attorney like Jacob Putman. What does this look like? Like, are they just scouring around, trying to, I, I mean, like, almost like civilian PIs? Like, what What does that even look like? He wouldn't tell me very much about oh, exactly what it looked like. But this is the group that was behind a very um, controversial tip line that people could call for people violating abortion bans. And so, you know, he said that he hadn't ruled out that as a potential path forward, Um he wouldn't give me a lot of the details, but I know that there are people who are dedicated to this right now within his organization. Well, yeah, and I guess it kind of makes sense that he doesn't want to reveal the details to you at this point because that kind of gives away what they're – if they're trying to be, you know, fly under the radar with it. Exactly. Yeah. Have you heard from any other anti-abortion activists who are trying to approach this issue of – prosecution around people getting abortion pills in states where abortion has been banned? I have. Um, this is not just something that Texas Right to Life is focused on. This is something that the two largest national groups are turning their attention to, especially in 2023. They're taking slightly different approaches to this. Um, I spoke with Marjorie Dannenfelser, who is the president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, Everyone who is trafficking these pills should be in jail for trafficking. And and it's they're they're violating the laws of these states and they are putting women at risk. So but that's not happening. Um and I I feel very confident about that. I've been like sort of looking for that happening and quite aggressively well, no, reporting. Happen, it doesn't mean that it won't. And she told me that they're really focusing in a new way on enforcement, and she is having conversations with governors, anti-abortion governors across the country to talk about, you know, what she sees as this major problem and strategize with them about how they can tackle it. And 
I was able to sit in on an internal meeting that Students for Life president Kristen Hawkins had with her team, and they were talking and really brainstorming about ways to deal with the abortion pill issue in a very different way. The biggest pushback I've gotten so far in a number of different interviews since Politico was that it's negligible amounts, and it's ridiculous that we're saying this. And at one point in the meeting, various members of the advocacy team are expressing frustration that the various county officials are not checking the water for contaminants related to abortion pills. The, well, we have received responses, and it's fascinating to me that a, a professional would say, you know, well, it's, it's, it's just negligible. There's, you know, there's nothing in the water. One, we don't know that there's nothing in the water because you don't test for it and you won't allow testing for it. Right. right? But secondly, and they're claiming that there are environmental violations that are happening because of medication abortion, that people are taking pills and chemicals from the pills or the fetal remains are somehow ending up in the water supply. That's the argument. Now, I want to emphasize that there is no direct evidence to support these claims and that since Students for Life surfaced these arguments over the last couple of weeks, they have been quite widely discredited by environmental experts. But the president, you know, Kristen Hawkins just says, you know, why don't we go Aaron Brockovich style on this? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Aaron Brockovich. Let's just get the damn water samples ourselves since we already know they're not doing it. And Students for Life is trying to go that route, hoping to get statewide injunctions against abortion pills from conservative attorney generals. Wait, so let me get this straight. They're trying to make an argument around abortion based on water contamination. How would that approach even work? It's a way to limit abortion pills, not just in states with abortion bans like Texas and Oklahoma, but in California and New York. The idea is to say that they present these EPA violations. There's no indication that this approach will actually work, but I wanted to cover it because I have learned on this beat that you don't dismiss anything because it seems unorthodox. There's a long history of the anti-abortion movement having a lot of success with approaches that were widely dismissed as, you know, never going to work. So I think it's really important that we pay attention. Caroline, what do you know about how abortion rights advocates are responding and, and meeting this moment? Well, I think on the abortion rights side, there is a whole lot of energy coming off of the election around ballot measures because we saw that work as a way to fight back against anti-abortion legislation, you know, even in conservative places like Kansas and Kentucky. So now what I'm hearing is that there are, you know, about 12 states that are seriously considering ballot measures for 2024 as a way to um, either further protect abortion rights or you know, cut against a strict abortion ban that is already on the books. And another part of this is, you know, offering services to people who might find themselves in these complicated legal situations, potentially facing jail time. There are legal advocates on the abortion rights side who are mobilizing 
who are manning hotlines in order to talk to those people and help them and as much as they can keep them out of jail. I know it's hard to predict what will happen next, but I am wondering that when you look ahead to the next year with respect to abortion ban enforcement, do you think we will see people, either those who are receiving abortions or facilitating abortions, will those people be charged and prosecuted? Will any of these efforts to enforce abortion bans actually work? I think it's really hard to say. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that a theme that emerged talking with advocates and leaders on both sides of this issue for the story was the sense that in order for the needle to really move, there needs to be a cultural shift, some kind of shift in the way that people think about this issue. And a lot of people said this to me, you know, they didn't want to be quoted saying this, but there's a real sense that the cultural shift could be prompted by a death. And both sides kind of feel that way in their own way. So on the abortion rights side, there's a sense that the cultural shift could be prompted by a woman dying who is turned away from a hospital because of an abortion ban. And, you know, she bleeds out and can't get the care that she needs. And on the other side, on the anti-abortion side, there's a sense that somebody is going to die while taking illegal abortion pills. Now, I do want to say that abortion pills are extremely safe and that self-managed abortion in general is widely regarded by doctors to be an extremely safe and, you know, at this point, reliable way to access abortion. But everyone is kind of stealing themselves to see how this turns out. We are only six months out from the Dobbs decision. That's not a lot of time. And I think a lot is going to happen in 2023. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you, Ahe. Caroline Kitchener is a national political reporter for The Post. She spoke to my co-host, Alahe Azadi. This story was produced and mixed by Rennie Svernovsky. It was edited by Robin Amer and Peter Walston. And that's it for Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.